Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cavs the Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I am here with Chris Francis. Hopefully this is uh, the new and improved Cavs the Podcast, at least in terms of audio quality. Um, and got got some new equipment here, so hopefully uh, hopefully that improves the process. Um, Cavs beat the Knicks last night in... That was a rock fight, right, Chris? Oh, yeah. I we mean, love that, it. that was... We love it. That was... It was a- Ugly, ugly win, win ugly. That's right, that's right. That was a that was a grind fest. It Great was. Grind. It was. Who stood out to you? Like, just, I mean, just it, dive in. Obviously, Donovan Mitchell. Let's talk about Donovan Mitchell and what he means to the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, Donovan Mitchell gutted it out. Obviously, he was on fire first half. Uh, couldn't hit anything until clutch time in the fourth quarter. But I mean, if there's a time to hit shots, that's the time you want. Donovan Mitchell to hit shots is, you know, when you're desperate for a bucket coming down the stretch of the fourth quarter. Um, Karis LeVert, you know, huge game, carried them in the second half, especially on offense. Uh, Evan Mobley with a bounce back game. Uh, he looks, he looked, he might have had his best game last night. Uh, well, he certainly had his best standpoint. half because the first half he was a mess. Right. Yeah. I mean, possibly. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, he was quiet for sure. Uh, well, and half. he just kept turning the ball over and trying yeah. to playing a little too fast. I thought like, yeah, trying to be the play initiator instead of the play finisher, which I don't think he's there yet as a play initiator, but yeah, Evan Mobley, uh, 14 points, eight rebounds and five assists. So he definitely was passing the rock and, you know, I think a lot of those assists were probably to um, Donovan Mitchell, who just had a monster game. Uh, the first half for Donovan Mitchell was phenomenal. 
Um, sorry, let me just pull that up. Donovan Mitchell in the first half, 23 points, two rebounds, two assists on just 12 shots. I mean, he was five for five at one point from three, wasn't he? Didn't he hit his first five threes? Yeah, I mean, he was just, uh, it, I thought, he, you know, Madison Square Garden, you know, he was doing mm. his LeBron impression. So That's true, the mecca of basketball. There we go. So, and then, yeah. then he finished with six rebounds and four dimes and five turnovers, but he was definitely far and away the highest usage player of all the Cavs. And I think he had to, had to, take the the law into his own hands uh, there. And then the other big hero, I would say that game, um, Karis LeVert, Karis LeVert agenda, Mm -hmm. Uh, 19 points, six rebounds, five assists, uh, three turnovers. Uh, But Karis, the one thing that I have noticed about him, he has become a knockdown catch and shoot three point shooter. Like he's, He's dialed in from behind the arc. Yeah, I think he's, you know, this is probably the first time since the Nets he's been settled with a team and settled in a role and just, you know, got the uh, cancer scare behind him. So injuries behind him. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's ready to rock and roll. And uh, I've been loving what he's, you know, like it, it really, you know, he had that bad stretch last year in February. But ever since then, he's like been lights out. So I think it's just kind of carried over from last season. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing is the the playmaking has been much better this year. Um, I think he gets in trouble when he gets into these mid-range turnaround, like Kobe. Yelling Kobe and letting a fadeaway Jay fly. That that's when he gets in trouble. That's when I call him bad earth Levert. But when he takes the play that's there, like when he comes around the corner, he he had one last night. He came around the corner and just hit a little pull up floater from the free throw line. I was like, that is a much better shot than the dance around um try and try and score the ISO shot. Like take the play that's there, make that shot. I, well, I, 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 that's why I would disagree with you. That no, well, I know problem. you would. <laughs> yeah, his, his problem is not the mid-range. His problem to me is always he gets too deep into the paint and then he tries to bail himself out with a jump pass of some sort right into the hands of a defender normally, uh, which is exactly when he should just hit the pull-up J right at the elbow you know, and just do a rhythm shot, you know. Oh, instead. for sure. I'm, I'm not arguing yeah. with that. It's when yeah. he does get too deep, tries to initiate contact, and kind of doesn't have a plan anymore. Like, yep, exactly. take that open shot or... Exactly. Yeah. Take, take the open shot or just swing it and then get the yeah. ball back, you know, just exactly. keep the ball moving. So, but uh, largely, uh, actually, I would say if the, the from the advanced stats, at least, uh, the part of the game that he's kind of struggled to start has been the defensive end, and it was interesting that uh, J.B. Bickerstaff and his comments after the in the post game presser, basically that was the lecture that was given before the game was uh, how they stunk on defense, and they definitely rose to the occasion last night. Yeah, for sure, and the rebounding, like they didn't dominate the boards, and Mitch Robb definitely had sixteen boards, eight of them offensive. But it was 50 to 46, which is respectable. Like, that's a respectable margin. You're not getting destroyed 
on the boards, and that's that's what they had to do. They did enough to to win the rebound battle. Yeah, there, there was just or, more fight, more competitiveness. Oh, for sure. You know, just they looked like they gave up after that third quarter last night or the two nights ago. Yeah, the, the home game, and it was just you know that's that's disturbing to see. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know. I know you hate the junkyard dog. No one deserved the junk. You know, that's probably the best reason, you know, that that game two nights ago is the best reason to bury that junkyard dog chain. But like finally last night we saw some dog from the team. For sure. For sure. Um, um, and another kind of interesting development, um, my player that I've come to know is, uh, George's rolling donuts, uh, Yang, um, started and had a weird game. One for six from the field, 28 minutes, 10 rebounds, two assists, a steal. I thought he was awful, but if you're if there's a guy you can start George Niang on, it's uh it's Julius Randle. And you know, Julius Randle thought he could take him in the post. And it was almost like a trap. Like, let's just let Julius Randle do his post-up thing, and if he beats us fine and he didn't beat him, um, and it was good enough. And then Dean Wade came in off the bench, and, and I thought it was a good plan. Like, that's the one situation where I'd use Niang. I would never do it every night, and I think against most teams, he would be a disaster. And I didn't think he was particularly good. And the thing that's bummed me most about him so far is he hasn't been very good on offense. He's, his shooting has been terrible. But he did enough, but he still spaces the floor. He still, teams still respect him. So he opens up the lane for Mitchell and Mobley um, and Max Struess. So let's hope that uh, he, he, his positive contributions continue, I suppose. We, we are joined now by our uh, erstwhile uh, uh, podcast partner, Elijah Kim. Who who snuck into the podcast booth? Why we uh, after we got started? Uh, Eli, any what what did you think of the Georges Niang situation there? Uh, I thought he sucked. <laughs> um, I did too, but the box score was somewhat kind to him. Yeah, I mean he um he did rebound, which I guess is probably why they did it, and I think um the Cavs are fully expecting Dean Wade to be a bench player. And it kind of, I think they're just trying to find the rules for everyone still. Um, so I, I'm just flabbergasted that his offense is just so bad right now. <laughs> like that's the one well, thing. His, I thought, his defense isn't very good either, but <laughs> well, his defense we thought was not going to be great to begin with, but we thought he would at least hit some shots, but he's not even doing that. So it's just yeah. kind of frustrating that he can't do anything really right now, but they still trot him out there and he plays a lot. He does a lot play more a than lot. he deserves a lot more than he deserves for sure. Yeah. And the, the thing that I noticed about him is the, uh, I thought a lot of those rebounds were kind of like seeing eye rebounds. Like nobody wanted to bother to deal with him. So he just like, I'm just going to go get this re- rebound. Um, and, you know, you get the loose balls. That's all you can do. You, you grab what's in front of you. Um, well, I mean, I'd actually take it. I mean, 
looking at the numbers here, like first of all, I'd say uh, his defense. That's the irony about Yang is he's supposed to be a spot up shooter, and he sucked at that. But over the course he's over the course of the Niang Mitchell Struess Okoro Mobley lineup, uh, they've returned eighty eight point one defensive rating over twenty two minutes. So he's holding up on defense, which is shocking to me. Um, and uh, <laughs> me too. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll take that all day. If he can figure out how to hit the broad side of a barn, then we're really actually got something. <laughs> uh, but uh, well, also, he, he I, hit the broad side of the backboard a couple times. He did. Yeah. Well, what's funny is I'm looking at these. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, uh, lineup data here, and uh, it's curious that uh, he, uh, that JB Bickerstaff went away from the Karis Levert Dean Wade starting lineup because. They're a plus forty on the they're they're a plus forty in net rating on the season so far, um, so I'm surprised that I, that he went away with that. Uh, the Niang the Niang starting lineup uh, only posted a ninety point seven offensive rating. So, uh, you know, it it was it was a questionable move that worked out basically on the defensive end, and I guess maybe that's what uh, that's what JB was trying to emphasize was the defensive end. Well, I think the other side of it is they had to get more balance between the starters and the bench. Like, just the previous game, the bench was so bad because they were relying on, you know, rookies and second-year players, and there was just too many of them in the game at once. Um, And I think they just wanted some more, you know, quality throughout the rotation. Um and and shout out to uh, Craig Porter Jr., who's come in in the last two games and given him really good minutes. Uh, he had 11 points or 11 minutes last night, and he had more minutes uh, on uh, Tuesday. But he definitely has some explosiveness. Uh, he's not a turnover machine. Uh, he defends well. Um, he he's not quite as aggressive looking for his own shot as they may need, but I don't think he expected to play this role this quickly. So I've been very pleased with the minutes he's given them. And then obviously the other big storyline is our co-JYD winner, um, Tristan Thompson, uh, who to me, Tristan Thompson's in the best shape he's looked since he left the Cavs. Uh, and, and I think we'll get to that in just a minute uh, after we take a break. Welcome back to Castle Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, Elijah Kim, Chris Francis. New audio setup. Uh, let's go. No, no uh, clicky clicky from Eli today. <laughs> That's our no, main day. <laughs> I will be uh, very good about that. I'm not sitting at my at that computer. <laughs> no bespoke keyboard. I think once is funny and and twice <laughs> we got some complaints. So, um, Eli, what do you think of Tristan Thompson the last two games, and is this sustainable? Man, I'll be. I, I thought Tristan had an amazing game uh, last night. Um, it was very surprising, and I think to your point about him being maybe in the best shape since he's left the Cavs. I don't know if you saw the junkyard Darog picture, but that he had some abs in that picture, man. So he's definitely been in good shape, and I was surprised as well because he looks uh, like thicker in a stronger way um, as well. 
So I think. Well, and he looks more explosive too. Like, didn't he get that goaltend call? And I was like, wow, he's up there. Yeah, and I thought he uh, was moving pretty well um, for for being older too. Um, so I, I was very surprised. And is it sustainable? I I hope so because I think the Cavs might actually need him <laughs> if he keeps playing like this. Um, so I think he's definitely better than Damian Jones at this point. So he should. Definitely I, I think playing. he's better than Georges Niang at this point too. Yeah, I think I think you make that argument after the last two games. I I do think Niang will start hitting some shots, and that could be, you know, he could be kind of that high variance player that a lot of teams have that are competitive. Um, but I just still don't get how his leash is Niang's leash is so long when he's not playing well. I I don't get it either. But the other guy, you know, that's not playing well at least offensively right now. Um is uh is Max Struess and but Max Struess to me has been really good on defense has made a lot of is always in the right spot and you know make some heady plays but man his he he's in a slump the last two three games uh Chris wh- what's he do- what's oh, yeah. going on with Max Struess I mean he's just missing shots that he normally makes I'm guessing it's also the minutes load that he's taking right now he's playing 37 minutes a game because of the injuries. So I'm, I'm assuming, and, and also the schedule was kind of wonky. Wasn't there like a t- three and four to start the year, back to back just now? So I'm guessing a little bit of dead legs. Um, and also just the offense is out of rhythm. I mean, I, I, when I wrote that article after the loss to the first Knicks game, Struess, um, Dean Wade, uh, Georges Niang, these were the guys that the Cavs were going to lo- rely upon for jump shooting, and they're all shooting terrible. There's no one shooting good. Um, Dean Wade is the best out of all of them, as a matter of fact, statistically speaking. Um, so, you know, they're just, I think the team is struggling to find a rhythm because Garland's out. You know, the, Garland's the, really the offensive engine that makes the other guys more effective on offense. So um, I think they're really missing Garland on that account. The shooters are, and they're just missing shots. They're missing open shots. So, uh, but, you know, if he's going to rebound like this and if he's going to defend like this, you know, that's, I mean, that's going to be huge. You know, as soon as a shot comes around, then he, we're going to have a really, um, we're going to have a really high impact player. But I mean, he's just got to make some shots now at this point. Um and uh, hopefully he does. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think um, one of the things that I'm a little like, I would like to see him in the pick and roll a little bit more often. Um, I, I don't think they're putting him in there enough, but I also think the Knicks are a really tough team for him to pick and roll against because their guards are pretty strong and they're big men. Uh, like you're not going to get a lot of lobs over Mitchell Robinson. You know, he's just a, a really good vertical player and, and they're, they're a pretty hefty team. And Isaiah Hartenstein is, is also a a pretty, (laughs) he's kind of a wall inside. Um, so I, I don't have any issues with, uh, with the five turnovers so much. I think a lot of it's just learning how to play these juggling these lineups. What, one of the things I find interesting though is that I'm not sure the Cavs are built 
to play at this faster pace that they've talked about at the beginning of the season. And I don't know, like, do you think they're going to play this, keep trying with that faster pace? Or are they just going to abandon it and be the, the team we saw last night? Eli? I think right now they can't, they're, they don't have the personnel to keep it, letting it fly because Garland's out. But, um, I think they have, I do agree that even when everyone is healthy, it's not like the way they've been playing where they've been letting it fly and shooting 45 plus threes a game. I don't think that's the best way to play. Um, even when everyone is healthy, it's like they're trying to overcorrect their mistakes from the past and they don't necessarily have the best personnel to do the exact opposite of what they're trying to do last year. So. I'm a little worried, though, that if the Cavs keep winning games with this grinded out style, which obviously it's only been one game where they really did that, um, that JB will just go back to his old habits. Um, but I do think uh, the bigger picture here is that Garland is is missing, and that's why they've kind of been that slow plotting team again. Well, and and Jared Allen, too. I mean, they don't have an inside threat other than Mobley. And they can basically, you know, they can camp on the shooters for the most part. Like, they don't have to help inside that much. Um, yeah, I mean, normally they had one of Mobley at the elbow and one of uh, and Allen at the dunker spot or the other way around. And they they haven't really had, like, teams don't pack the paint against them. When they have that, um, you're seeing the the defense fly out to the shooters a lot more. I think once we see that, um, it's going to be a little bit better once they have a, a center back in. I think their second best inside threat right now, well, maybe third best after, you know, Evan Mobley and Donovan Mitchell is Isaac Okoro has been, you know, a really pleasant surprise. Not a lot of points last night, but played good defense on uh Brunson the whole night or a lot of the night and then just some I think he had double digits in every game before the last night uh just looks much more poised and polished as a player in his fourth year uh do you think Chris they're gonna regret not giving him an extension um no (laughs) (laughs) come on now I mean He's, I mean, he's doing fine. You know, he's, he's, he's shooting okay. Um, he's still, I mean, still has the same problems on the defensive end in terms of, uh, getting rebounds. Uh, and also how consistent is that jumper going to be? You know, oh, his, uh, his rebounding has been much better this year, I've thought. It's, it's he's at 10%. <laughs> okay. Well, it's, never mind then. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 an improvement, but that'd be an improvement from like the one of the worst in the NBA. So <laughs> to like yeah. the bottom twenty percent. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well no, he was he was like bottom five percent. No, I mean he's yeah. you know, so he's yeah. now bottom ten percent. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know what I'm saying. So um but uh I, I do like his confidence. It just looks like he's got a. Uh, I think I think he just has uh, an air of confidence about him that hopefully it's that intangible thing that, and we're going to see him kind of like uh, show up in bigger games, you know, like last night was a pretty big game. And I think 
he did pretty solid. If I, I mean, he, well, he, he played good defense for sure. He played uh, good defense on um, Brunson and um, uh, looks like Brunson and Hart, they shot yeah. more poorly. So made him work for everything they got uh, fouled out or whatever. But, you know, the, the, his, he fulfilled his role last night. And he was definitely- oh, yeah. And Brunson is a foul merchant. Oh, my God. I'm sick of him. What a, what a man, me too. What? Oh my god! Yeah, I'm gonna stop talking before I say something stupid. <laughs> like what? that charge he had. Um, all of them. All of oh, them. Just, just flop city. It flopping is. I can't over. stand that team. There should have been four. Te- oh yeah, I know, right? Yeah, they're just a bunch of rats. That's that's what <laughs> they are. They they're, they they symbolize the all the rats in New York City. God's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Dante DiVincenzo like fits in perfectly on that team. Just yet, yet another, another rat. That's right, <laughs> Eli. Um, what's your, what's your take on Okoro? And did he do a good job on Jalen Brunson last night? I thought he did. I was surprised he got called for like back to back fouls. Um, I think in the second quarter where he got to his fourth foul really quick. Um. The refs were totally in the tank for the for the Knicks. By the way, twenty seven to sixteen was the final tally on foul calls. Yeah, that's that was pretty. I wasn't I wasn't surprised by that because it did feel like the Knicks got a lot of calls um, in the game during the course of the game. What in the but um, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but I do was Donnie think on the court. <laughs> <laughs> I do think um. I think Okoro's been playing really well. I I think he has been rebounding better. And maybe part of the statistic that I think may be a little misleading is I feel like he's kind of the guy that's leaking out this year and Donovan isn't, or at least right now with Mitchell or uh, with Garland out. So I think when he is actually trying to rebound, he's definitely much improved. But he's also, I feel like, it just feels like he's a lot more in transition this year, um, albeit, you know, a five-game sample size. I feel like he's kind of the main... Um, leak out after a miss guy and he, he's this I, year's Chetty Osman exactly and I think that he is doing that role very well and Chris I think when I was listening to the pod from last time where he talked about his finishing I actually pulled up the article I wrote about him before the draft in 2020 and one mm. one line that I had was I said that he had a pillowy soft touch with both hands he does um, and I he I think his finishing is severely underrated he has that euro step that i'm not gonna lie it doesn't look the prettiest it's not smooth okoro's athleticism doesn't feel smooth it feels like you know short choppy bursts but it's effective and he can kind of slow down enough it feels like it's in slow motion because it's not that smooth but he is a great finisher and i think that's definitely a good thing that the Cavs are utilizing um, no, that's a, especially that's a great point. I, I think that's that's where we're seeing the improvement, and also kind of seeing seeing him kind of just. That's the comment that I made. Literally, I don't remember when it was, but uh, it was it, we finally got Auburn Okoro. We got glimpses of Auburn Okoro now, which is the yeah. guy who can get to the rim and finish. And uh, actually. I like that uh, last night, I think, it may, or it may have been two games ago, he really took it to Brunson when, you know, uh, Brunson was guarding him. Uh, I think they, honestly, they might have sh- they might have tried to exploit that more. Or maybe they should think about exploiting it more because 
obviously the other team's going to hide their defensive liability on Okoro. And uh, maybe, you know, this is a chance now for Okoro to really blossom and, and take advantage of some mismatches here. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm just pulling up some Okoro stats here because I think um, I, I think he was a little underrated last year in terms of his ability to get to the rim. Uh, he finished at uh, 64% last year. Um, at or 66% at the rim, which was good for 64th percentile in the NBA, which is, you know, above average. And then uh, his free throw attempt rate was a little bit higher last year. Um, I don't think he's he hasn't been getting the whistles. Like, I, I think probably the leader in uh, uncalled fouls on the Cavs, like, uncalls fouls he's received has got to be Okoro right now because he's he's really gotten hammered a few times and just no call um and I think that's probably the next evolution of his game is to kind of learn how to exaggerate that contact and and get to the line a little bit more but you gotta you gotta get the respect from the refs before you do that it's it's a tough one I mean the other thing is he has no mid-range game, which in a way is good, but it's it's also kind of weird. Like he just doesn't he doesn't pull up ever. Uh, he, I mean, Tristan Thompson has a better mid-range game than Okoro. Oh, no. I'm not I'm not uh, I'm not lying though, am I, guys? <laughs> I don't probably not. I, <laughs> I don't think you are. <laughs> like that, he can shoot that hook over either hand, and he's he definitely did it last night. Uh, he just. I think that's the one thing about Okoro is he's definitely a slasher and a guy that's either going to get to the rim or shoot the open three. And a few times I've seen him get the ball with a shot clock running down. And because he doesn't have that mid game, it's, it's a little bit easier to defend him because you can retreat back to the, the defensive circle and then challenge him at the rim. Cause you know, he's not going to pull up on you. Um, and I, I think that might be the next evolution of his game. And I'd like to see him, uh, you know, get in the pick and roll and see what he can do with that. And if that's something he can be effective at, but, but we'll see. I mean, it's not his strength right now and the Cavs kind of have to play to their strengths. So Eli, you weren't here early when we talked about, uh, Karis Levert. Um, what have you, what have you thought of Levert so far? Liver is uh, looking pretty good. Um, they definitely missed him in the first Knicks game. And I do like how his role has been more consistent. Like he's coming off the bench. Um, you know, even last night with Garland out, he came off the bench, I believe. Could be wrong on that. Um, You're correct. But, but I think uh, he's the, he's like the guy that – he kind of also is a high variance guy for the Cavs. Like he could go off for 40 points in a game, but at the bare minimum, he'll get you 10. Um, Cause he's just his shot, his catch and shoot. I don't have any stats to back this up, but it just feels like he's more consistent on that. Still oh, he's, uh, he's killing it. He's taken almost eight threes a game and shooting 42%. That's yeah, so. like both are far and away career highs. He's definitely playing the off-ball role really well. I think the part where he can, he still is a little frustrating is he. There was a sequence where he just took a couple of question. He had a couple questionable shots and then a couple 
um, you know, questionable decisions. I think he had a turnover and then like a really bad layup. And then are I think you he talking had two about turnovers. last night or on when last night? Oh, yeah. okay. Um, but at the same time, he, he kind of earns those moments by his shot making and, you know, YOLO threes that he makes. Um, so you got to take the good and the bad with Karis. But this year, I, I'm actually very surprised and think that he's really important for the Cavs and he's definitely played really well so far this season. Yeah. Um, the one thing he does have to improve upon is he's shooting 39% from the field. Um, and he's got that booby Gibson stat line where he's actually shooting better from three than he is from the field. Um, and his free throw shooting is, is 54% right now. So I think if he cleans those things up, um, he, he could have a shot at six man of the year. I mean, he's averaging almost 24 and five right now. Like those are great numbers. Um, and if, and if he keeps that up, uh, he, he, he's a huge part of this team. And I, I think his defense has been pretty solid as well. So, um, who else we got? Evan Mobley. Um, we're going to talk about Evan Mobley a little bit more when we come back. Cause I know, He's kind of been all over the map so far this season, and I, I want to get your take and, and what he needs to keep doing to improve. So we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs Podcast. Nate Smith, Chris Francis, Eli Kim, not necessarily in that order. Eli, what what's your take on Mowgli so far this year? Man, I, I'm a little worried, guys. Um <laughs> His offense just remains to be somewhat disappointing, um, to say the least. And I, I feel like he's just trying to do too much. Um, and I just think right now it needs to be dumbed down for him on offense for him to kind of excel. I think he's thinking too much, and I think he just has no confidence in his jump shot whatsoever right now. He's not taking threes. Um, so I think his passing continues to be great. And I think he's really comfortable when he gets to face up at the elbow and there's motion around him and it gives him optionality, but he's still not a great ISO player at all. And, um, where he has improved a little bit, at least from, you know, my eye test is he's way better in the two man game. Um, but I feel like the team doesn't go to that often enough for him to get in a rhythm. So the blame's not all on him, but I will admit that my high end optimism of him is not, I wouldn't say it's gone, but I would, I would say there are some doubts that I have about his extreme high upside because of the lack of his offensive game. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Um, piggybacking off of Eli, just no confidence in the jumper. Whoever is his jump shot coach, it needs to be fired yesterday. My God. Because it's, I mean, he just shoots a line drive bullet every time. It has no hey, he's at a, he's at a thousand percent on the year though for, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for uh, that one three he hit. That one three. <laughs> I mean, it's just a line, I'm t- you know, I, he made that mid-range jumper. Remember that mid-range jumper that he made last year, that game winner? Um, uh, Against Charlotte. 
Yeah, yeah, he curled off of the, he, like, did a curl cut right to the elbow. Right, but, uh, yeah, Mitchell drove, and he did the curl yep. cut and came behind yep. him and got, and, yep. I mean, even that shot is gone from him right now. So, you know, I, I just, whatever's going on with this jumper, uh, I hope they know what they're doing because it's just had a precipitous decline pretty much uh, from his rookie year. Well, uh, let me throw a number at you. Let me throw you a player comp here. So I'm going to give you a player that I think compares favorably to Evan Mobley, and I'm going to give you his third season uh, where this player played 80 games um, versus Mobley has played five so far. In five games, Mobley is averaging 15 points and 11 rebounds which uh, this player averaged 17 points and 8 rebounds in his third season. Uh, Mobley's averaging 3.4 assists per game. Um, actually, let me not do per game. Let's do per 100 possessions. Um, oh, well, that's just as hard. <laughs> but 3.4 assists versus 4.3 assists for this other player. Mobley's averaging 2.2 blocks a game, uh, 0.4 steals. This player had 1.4 blocks and 1.2 steals. Uh, Mobley's field goal percentage is 47% right now to this player's 51% in his third year. Um, but Mobley's free throw shooting, 74%, which is around league average, I would say, probably a little below, but it's not, it's respectable. Well, that's per, that's improved from the past yeah. two years, isn't it? Yeah, his free throw shot has looked better to me this year, and that's why I wonder, you know, if this jumper stuff, like, why does he have more arc on the free throw than he does on the, uh, the pull-up? And I think it could be, like we talked about, he's playing a little fast, but this player, can either of you guess who this player I'm comparing him to, 30-year player? I have no clue. Giannis Atetokounmpo, third year. Mobley's killing him on the boards. 11 boards a game. Mobley has been a rebound monster ever since you called him out, uh, Chris. He's He's been killing it on the boards. So I'm very happy to see that. I'm also very happy to see uh, his activity around the basket on offense and defense. And I think a lot of it is you got to force feed him right now. He's got to learn how to play this. I think he's deferred too much in the previous two seasons, and they've just got to live with what's happening, take their lumps, and let him play against real competition. And I said this in a tweet, um, but one of the problems is they don't have anybody on the team right now that can challenge him in practice. So he has got to get his reps against top-line NBA guys in games, and you just can't prepare for that speed, that physicality, and I think they've just got to force feed him until he gets better. Um, and I haven't seen anything that's made me like totally say, "Oh God, this guy's terrible." He just plays too fast. Sometimes he he makes mistakes, but he's 22 years old, and I think he's only going to get better. And I'm I'm not concerned long term at all. Because the defensive numbers there and the rebounding numbers are there, and when he gets another big to actually play with, I think he's going to be even better. So take that for what it's worth. I think my concern with Mobley is he, when he doesn't get the ball early enough, though, he like kind of gives up on being like a, 
I don't know, lack of a better term, like the trash big man, you know, like getting the easy handoff dunks, getting the, you know, just roll hard and maybe, yeah, like, like Tristan Thompson's points yesterday. How did it come? It came when he set a screen and rolled hard and the defense just was a little, just a half step lackadaisical and the 34 year old Tristan Thompson ran bass for layups to his dominant hand. Like, Fair. That's the that's the number one thing you're supposed to defend in a pick and roll, um, and you know he just set screens and ran hard. And I feel like Mobley is way more athletic than Tristan, and he doesn't get those opportunities when he's not getting the ball early, and that's his fault. Um, well, and it's he, what I talked about. He needs to be a play finisher, not a play initiator. Yeah. Yeah. And no. He, actually, I would say I would say that's the probably the best thing I've seen of him so far this season is I think he's being more active on the boards, being more of a junkyard dog on the boards and stuff like that. It's just, uh, I, I just agree with both of you guys where, what you guys saying in terms of he's trying to do too much and he's got no plan whenever he has the ball. That's, that's the disturbing part. You disagree or you agree? Because I think we both kind of said that. <laughs> Oh no, I agree. No, that's yeah. why I'm saying like that's if there was a criticism, it's it's the what you guys said in terms of he he's lacking a plan when he's on ball. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of that is uh, there's no sane structure at times to the Cavs' offense, and I don't know what the heck they're running. It doesn't look like they do either. Eli, you were about to chime in there. What were you going to say? I was just going to say like reminiscing to his game last year where he scored like 34 points. Um, I think it was 34 points. I could be wrong. It wasn't like he was just killing it on the ISO. It was because he played like the perfect trash man game, got the easy buckets, made a couple of jumpers. That was unusual, but that was the difference of him, you know, scoring the 15 to 20 points versus 30. Um, he just finished those plays that came easy and natural to him. Um, his offense isn't going to get better by just giving him the ball on the elbow and being like, go, go get yourself some buckets, you know? Um, it has to come. That's not what I'm saying for sure. I, I agreed. Yeah. So I think well, I, I do the development you, of him is. Should, well, I was going to say, I agree with you, Nate, in terms of they should force feed him for sure. Like now's the time. We're in game six. You know, it's October or just turn November. You know, do do the experimentation now, not in April. For sure. The other, you know, he did have one monster game already this year. He had a 33.14 rebound game against uh, Indiana that he was awesome in. Um, I I don't think he's very far away, but I want to touch on something Eli said, that Tristan Thompson is the best screen setter on this team. And I think that's really what Mobley needs to focus on is, and this coaching staff needs to focus on with him, is how does he get better in the pick and roll? He needs to set better screens, and everybody not named Tristan Thompson on this Cavs team needs to set better screens because their off-ball screens especially are kind of lousy. And he needs to learn pick and roll timing. And that's why I'm glad Tristan Thompson's on the team because – he's probably the one guy that can most teach him how to do that. That's where Mobley needs to get his best improvement is, is just focus on that two man game, focus on that pick and roll timing, focus on being that short roll guy. I don't want to see 
you know, I, I kind of hate it when he brings the ball up and, and tries to go straight into the post with the ball. Like that one drives me nuts. Like go up, kick it to a guard, get in the post or initiate an action, run a dribble handoff. You know, that's, that's where I don't want to see him just dribble right into the post. It's, it's kind of lazy offense to me. I don't know. Any, any counterpoint there? Don't everybody speak up at once. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I don't care about the dribble. If you, I, I, I agree that the drives into the paint probably are low um, efficiency. I'm not necessarily bothered by it because he does it so infrequently, to be honest with you. But yeah. Oh, I see. Like, I'm seeing it once or twice a game and it usually ends poorly. Yeah, I mean, it's once or twice a game, you know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> okay, you know, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I don't think it's, I, well, I, it goes to your point about do stuff out of the box. This is for, that's what it looks like to force feed him into doing things. You know what I mean? Well, he's got to do the, you know, he's got to do those things to force feed him to do yeah. those things. So oh, fair. Fair. Um, you were going to mention uh, the, the windy report. Uh, you know, switching gears here. Yeah. Uh, from today. Well, I was just going to say it's a little vindication for you, Nate. Um, it was uh, windy on one of the, uh, it was on a Cleveland sports radio, sports talk, I think. Um, talking the really about big the show. Dari- yeah. Yeah, exactly. Talking about the Darius Garland injury um, and how basically he, uh, Wendy was like, they mismanaged, uh, they basically mismanaged the injury and, the way he presented the case, it was that um, that basically the Cavs expected Garland to play and wouldn't uh, keep him out of that uh, opener. So uh, my question is, uh, you know, it sounded like to me, it struck me as uh, the agent or clutch or whatever said something, you know, like they're basically having Wendy put the organization on blast about managing this injury. So I was just wondering to get your take on what, what you think about what Wendy said. Uh, I, I want to pull it up and, and look at it, but I, I don't understand. And I, I got in a big argument with, I think his name is Mr. Steele on the comment section where basically I said, I don't understand if you have three guards that all have a hamstring injury, you're not doing something right. You're not stretching right. You're not preparing right. You're not, maybe you're not managing supplements or hydration correctly, but something is not going correctly here and the Cavs need to fix it. And I, I'm i amazed that the Cavs have not made changes to their training staff because there has been a mismanaged injury literally every season since LeBron left. You had the first Kevin Love lower calf injury where he only played 25 games you had them playing Larry Nance with a broken hand and then breaking it worse. You had the second year with Kevin Love and the um, broken hand last season. Um, they they just consistently mismanage and play guys when they shouldn't be playing them and try and bring them back too soon. And I, I don't understand how they keep trotting out the same training staff that's mismanaging injuries every single year. Like I'm not, I'm not making these things up. They're, they're not 
pulled from whole cloth. This is documented things where they brought guys back and played them when they shouldn't have been playing. Like that first season when Kevin Love played 25 games, you guys all remember where like everybody's like, why is he out there if he has a calf injury? And then he was pretty much done for the rest of the season when he re-injured it. <laughs> they played him like, didn't they play him like 40 minutes on a back-to-back or something? Yeah, I mean, it was just <laughs> idiotic. It's like, yeah, it's I just don't understand. And, and like, as well as uh, Karis LeVert played last night, he looked gimpy. Like, I don't know if you noticed him kind of moving gingerly when he first came in. Did you guys get that vibe? I mean, I noticed Mitchell looking dog tired you know well, that's the main thing i noticed from that's because he had 14 guys on his back <laughs> true yeah yeah i mean eli training step go <laughs> terrible replace him but it's so <laughs> weird because the guy that is their training staff is someone lebron brought and they kept that guy um since basically oh, really team yeah Wait, they so it was like uh, LeBron's personal trainer or who? No, no, no. So his personal trainer is Mike Mancius. He get he goes to every team LeBron is on. But the guy that they brought in, I think it's Steven Shapiro or something like that. Oh right, yeah. He's been with the Cavs since LeBron came. Um, they for some reason keep him. He has not left. But I think it's a telling sign that LeBron didn't take him with him. I mean that. That has to mean something to um, LeBron, obviously. So, I I don't know. I think that uh, there's documented, documented events where the Cavs have not been great with the, with the rehab and training. Um, it's like they're too conservative sometimes, but then they're also really aggressive more. And... It was really puzzling to be so aggressive when they were clearly tanking. Like, why would you play Kevin Love like that when you know you're going to suck? Um, <laughs> and, but then, you know, like last year, I kind of felt like there were some lulls where the team was really bad and they were holding guys out. And they were saying like, oh, we're just being cautious, you know. So um, I think with Levert, he probably just he probably just felt bad with how bad the Cavs looked and wanted to tough through it. and. I think Mitchell was also the same thing. I mean, he he's already missed the game too this year. So all these Cavs players are just, I don't know, not not getting the best treatment. And I, you know, as much as I want to say it's just the Cavs, I feel like around the league there's been already a lot of players that have missed games. So this might be a league-wide thing that just seems very anecdotal to us, um, especially because it's affecting our better players. Oh, for sure. And – I think it just part of it is that it doesn't feel like there's an off season. These guys are always training, always trying to get their legs under them. Um, the other thing that's that's weird is just the the super bizarre statements from uh, Adam Silver about how the science has shown that uh, uh, load management, quote unquote, doesn't work. But they didn't release any of the science around it, so it was just more. BS from Adam Silver. And, you know, I had, I had a tweet exchange with Evan Damerel, uh yesterday where I basically said, oh, yeah, load management still exists. They just can't call it that anymore. So, and with that, we'll uh, be right back. Welcome back to Cats Podcast. Chris Francis, Eli Kim, Nate Smith, 
Um, Eli, there was another report today that you're going to take us through, uh, and I believe that concerned uh, Donovan Mitchell. Is that correct? Yep. Um, there was a re- report from Mike Scotto, I think his name is, uh, basically detailing the aftermath of the Harden trade and what Philadelphia is going to do moving forward. Interestingly enough, I think he was the second they mentioned, but they, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers are reportedly monitoring the Donovan Mitchell situation in Cleveland. Um, I think the top target, if I'm not mistaken, Chris, please correct me if I'm wrong, is OG Ananobi due to the familiarity with Nick Nurse, his versatility, and the ability to give him a fully max deal at the offseason because they'll have $50 million caps. Um, so uh, that's obviously a potential option for them. They could get him in free agency or trade for him because they can give him that max deal. Um, but that being said, it's just interesting that about an hour or two after the article, um, and maybe I'm reading way too much into this, maybe Mitchell just woke up or something, but Mitchell posted a series of photos from the Knicks game, including probably one of the the baddest pictures I've seen where he's shooting a three and you see all five Knicks looking at him. Um, but in the caption, it was just believe land in all caps. So I retweeted that and said, maybe Mitchell's clapping back at monitoring the situation. But um, it was just interesting that that article came out. Um, and I just don't see how it's feasible though. Cause it doesn't make what, sense. What would the Cavs want from the 76 years? Right. Well, but the other um, side of it is the Sixers already have a 6'3 guard that's playing like an absolute all-star so far this year in Tyrese Maxey. So, like, that doesn't seem like a fit there to me. They're, they have very similar games in a way. Yeah, but the Knicks thing doesn't make sense either, right? Because of Brunson. So, Well, that's, that's also true. But I... I just think that it's interesting that there's all this noise around Mitchell. And, um, you know, I think candidly it's going to be, it's just for clicks and whatnot. It's annoying. And we won't know the answer until this summer because he'll either sign the extension or he won't. And that'll be the answer for that. Uh, that that's a good point. And, and the other thing is, is it doesn't make any, it didn't make any sense for him to sign the extension last year anyway or this last summer anyway, like from a financial standpoint, the numbers don't add up there. Yeah. He would be like leaving potentially like 30 million. Yeah. Well, I mean, the same amount of time. He he should have left the 30 million on the table to make us all feel better on this podcast. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, the other thing that I, I found interesting, uh, this week, what was how well Maxi is playing, and I think it's worth reviewing a little bit of uh, that draft class. I believe that was the 2020 draft class. Is that correct? Uh, Maxi was 21, I thought. Or I no? Thought it, I, I thought it was 2020. Same was he draft a as a draft class? Yeah. Okay, you might be right then. Yeah, and I just find it interesting the number of guys that uh, the Cavs passed on to take Okoro is is pretty uh, – there's a lot of really good players there that, uh, that the Cavs passed on. And I'm just wondering 
if that's something you fault Kobe for, um, I'm going to, I'm going to go through as soon as I can, you know, pull up the stupid draft, which the internet's not working for me now, but, um, wh- what do you think? Did, did Kobe whiff Eli? Man, I think, um, I think in hindsight, everyone would have taken Halliburton. Um, I mean, that's just the facts. So it's not just the cat. Well, in foresight, I would have taken him. So, and that's on the record. (laughs) I'll never stop crowing. I think it's interesting though, because I think it came out, it was reported the Cavs dream target at five was Patrick Williams. And I don't know. I don't know if he would have been that much better than Okoro, the fit. I mean, he is bigger. I think he's worse than Okoro, if that's possible. But he does have the size, and he has a defensive reputation, right? So, I don't know. Um, but then, there I mean, to be honest, everyone said that draft class was really bad, but it's ironic how it's actually turning out that there are a lot of good players that have come out of that class. Um, well, you I'm also just, remember that the, the draft was like October or something that year. Mm-hmm. Like that was the COVID year. And so none of those guys got a summer league. They all had their uh, college and uh, training camps. They basically didn't have them that they didn't have training camp. So they're, and I can't remember if they played an NCAA tournament that year. They did not. Yeah. So, I mean, those guys definitely had their prep careers for the NBA cut, cut pretty short. Um, I, I think a lot of those guys are just late, late bloomers. You know, it's just, and the other thing is, is that these players are all going pro younger and younger. It's going to take them longer to develop. I mean, you're seeing a lot of these guys in their fourth years. Um, it, it, you, the fourth year in the NBA is almost now what the third year used to be because so many of these guys are coming out at 19 and they're 21, 22 years old or 22 years old in their fourth year. You know, mm-hmm. and and that was literally used to be your rookie year when you came out as a senior. So it's got they. I mean, and you're seeing it with um, oh, Craig Porter Jr. looks really polished as a four or five year, you know, college uh, college player. These guys that are coming out at nineteen twenty are just going to take longer to develop. That's just what it is. So I I. Still think Okoro has some upside, but I do think that it's a fair, you know, to re-rank that draft class. And the guys they paxed on, you know, you got uh, Okongwu, you've got uh, Quickly, you've got um, Maxi, Maxi, you've got uh, Desmond Bain. Although for Maxi, you had Sexton on the team still. and Well, I think, yeah. That was more egregious. Uh, What the The second draft pick? Yeah, that was. It was just (laughs) that was the most hilarious thing. I went back to look at that live that live thread on that draft night. Oh yeah, I mean, well, and then just looking at the, I remember watching the tape and just, I mean, just it was a joke. Like SGA's Kentucky film was so freaking good. Right. And, and Kobe was just like, no thanks. <laughs> but SGA didn't want to come here. He'd rather and play neither did, neither did Evan Mobley. So. I didn't hear that about Evan Mobley. Well, he, they, they were unwilling to work out with the Cavs, both of them. 
Oh, well. But SGA literally said, I don't want to play for Cleveland because I don't want to deal with LeBron's, like, thing. Oh, yeah, I don't want to be the first player here after LeBron left. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was... But then it's ironic that he ends up at OKC and he's fine there, um, which is also a small market, so... Well, and after Durant left, you know. Yeah. Um, Although the other funny thing about... um, Or not Durant, Westbrook. um, The other funny thing is... You know, the other guys they had, they didn't they pass on Macau Bridges that draft? Um, they they passed. Yeah. I mean, it, it's not like they didn't have options at, at all these all these moments. I think the other thing that it's kind of fair to bring up, um, if you had the Lori Markinen trade to do over again, would you do it, Eli? Uh. Knowing that he became an all-star the next year. Or do you think he doesn't get to be an all-star with the Cavs? I don't think JV would use him anywhere near the way Utah is. Uh, that's a fair criticism. So I, I think it's hard to say. What about you, Chris? Would you do the Laurie Markinen trade? Oh, yeah, easily. Interesting. I Yeah, not even a question. Like, come on, man. My my only thing is, is you know, my favorite NBA analyst is, is Ben Worth of Cavs the Blog and who doesn't write much anymore, but it still sends us the occasional email. And he did not love the trade at the time. I thought the Cavs way overpaid. And I think kind of the market is bearing that out now. Like, I really feel like the Cavs kind of paid the second highest market price after just the ridiculous Rudy Gobert trade. Um. And moral of the story, don't trade with Danny Ainge. <laughs> um, but I... <sighs> I mean, that's not true. I mean, KD went for that, um, you know? Yeah, but KD is, you know, a handful. KD can, you can argue, is a top 10 all-time player. You know, at least top 20 all-time. Like, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert aren't in that level. But in hindsight, if you also traded Jared Allen instead of Markinen, would we look oh, at yeah. this differently? Oh, we totally would. I, I think the Cavs would be so set up for future success. But again, I'm not sure that J.B. Bickerstaff can coach that team. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, that that's probably the dream scenario there, Eli, is he should have probably traded – uh, Allen instead of uh, Markkinen, and and mainly because exactly what Chris has said multiple times, Evan Mobley's best position is center, not power forward. And I'm I'm correct when I'm quoting you there, right? Oh yeah, no, I mean yeah, it's especially given you know if we're not going to see that leap offensively, you know. Um, it makes it way harder for him to sustain, uh, you know, the power forward position. And in that alternate universe, Kevin left still on this team as a starter, as the veteran. Oh, man. Oh, man. No, oh, well, let's not even get into the, the Kevin <laughs> Love debacle. Love like, K-Love. Like, I don't even understand how you can watch Kevin Love right now and think, like, if, if you'd have told me last year that, you know, at the beginning of the season that by a year from now, the Cavs will have cut Kevin Love and replace. he's gone to Miami and they've replaced him with Georges Niang. 
and you told me that was good team building, I would have told you that you're a moron and that's never going to happen. And that's exactly what happened. So loves although, making half of what loves making not even half. He's making 33% of what Georges Yang is making. Uh, it's a little under half, but he also has a two year deal instead of a three year deal. On a per season, it's about half, and on it's eight million versus twenty five million for the contract. So, yeah, it it's a little bit ridiculous, but it is what it is at this point. Yeah, it's Donovan better stay now that we got his boy. Yeah, that's I mean a- that's the other thing about Niang. They he he was he was a favorite to Donovan and the agent. But why they pick Niang? They should have gone for Royce O'Neal. Pick someone who like actually will play a little defense. Well, I I think they would have liked to have gone for Royce O'Neal. I think there's still a shot they could go for Royce O'Neal at this trade deadline, but it's not going to happen, you know, now or right this second. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you do an Okoro for Royce deal? No. Oh, who would you trade for Royce? Rubio in a couple seconds. Uh, I. Yeah, Rubio's contract in a couple seconds. Yeah, I <laughs> my hope with the Rubio deal. Sorry, I just hit my mic there. My hope with the Rubio deal is that he says, "Hey, I'm going to retire," and it's a contract that's going to completely come off somebody's books, um, which I think would make it more valuable in that case. So I don't know. Yeah, but in in a way, the Cavs actually, if he comes back, they would actually probably play him. Um, instead <laughs> yeah, of taxing, that is weird. They instead of taxing uh, Mitchell and Lebert. Yeah, well, like, and they're playing uh, CPJ twelve minutes the last two games. So exactly, they would they would just give that back to Rubio. So I don't know. I just think that situation just remains really weird because yeah, something's going every on time, there we don't know about. Every time I see Tristan Thompson wearing number twelve, I know he's just dying to wear number thirteen again too. <laughs> That's true. That's Hopefully true. Rubio's doping up on some good European drugs. <laughs> I I just hope that his mental health is where it needs to be because something's going on there. And I hope everything in his life is like, I feel like there's some family drama that we just don't know about uh, in a way, a little bit similar to Andrew Wiggins the year before. And, and I just, you know, I hope the best for him and his family. I think that to me is the most important thing because he, he seems like just an awesome dude and I hate to see anybody going through, you know, mental health issues. So, and with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back to Cavs, a podcast, Chris Francis, Eli Kim, Nate Smith. Um, we're, uh, we're going around the NBA just talking about uh, some of the storylines so far. I think one of the big storylines at the half right now, we've got San Antonio up 75 to 55 on Phoenix after that absolute shocker against uh, them two nights ago where they stole the ball from Durant uh, at the end of the game and just put it in the basket. Like, I think there's a twofold story there. The Spurs have an, could be really good. And Phoenix, what the hell is wrong with Phoenix so far? So, um, like, so far, Eli, Wemby's been everything as advertised, right? Oh, yeah. He's been great. Like, Um, the effort he shoots threes with is just, it's like, it's like Clay Thompson's jumper in a seven foot four dude. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the more impressive things about the Spurs, though, is they're. I thought there'd be a little bit more like pushback from everyone else, but everyone's playing like beautiful basketball on that team right now. Like I thought maybe Vassell and uh, Keldon Johnson would be a little bit more um, bitter about it, but it seems like they're genuinely, you know, trying to make the best of the situation. They're all playing well. And this is definitely anecdotal because I had a huge bet on all three Keldon, um, Keldon, Vassell, and Wemby to score 15 points each. And that's what I've been betting a lot this year. And I've been making a lot of money doing that. So, um, <laughs> nice. That, that being said, I, I do think it's interesting that they're all playing like very cohesively. Well, um, I mean, and- they're killing it tonight. Wemby has 20 points at the half, Vassell has 17. Uh, they've already got three guys in double figures. Vassell was my boy for the 2020 draft. Yeah. Sohan's been starting at point guard, and a lot of people panned it early, but I feel like it's starting to pay off. Like, that's such a huge lineup. Like, they're yeah. very hard to score on. Yeah. I think Devin Vassell's the shortest guy in that lineup, and he's, like, 6'5", 6'6". The trebuchet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that team, I you know, two things at the beginning of the season when we were doing over-unders, I think we all were taking, we all would have hammered the over on the Spurs, and that list is looking like a good bet right now. And I think we all decided we were going to hammer the under on the Grizzlies, and that is also looking like a good bet as they are still winless, I believe. Love it. Yeah, who Love else is, is impressing you around the NBA so far? Chris? I mean, gotta say Boston and Philly. Oh man, yeah. I mean, they're they're both looking strong. Boston looks like a buzzsaw right now. Yep, yep. And um, you know, uh, on the West, I mean, it seems like there's three teams that have emerged: um, Dallas, Golden State, and Denver. So, um, you know, uh, well, and I I throw the Pelicans in that list too. Yeah, I mean, that's true. Although their point differential is not nearly the well, same fair. quality as the top three. But, yeah, um, I think the surprising one there is Dallas, obviously. Uh, you know, um, they people pan their moves, um, their offseason moves. People pan the Lively pick. People pan well, Lively looks starting. fantastic. No kidding. Grow Duke, the Brotherhood, baby. Oh, God. That's oh, right. <laughs> Barf. We run, we run the NBA. So, oh my god so uh yeah um and it'll be interesting i think the I, I think the clippers are ultimately going to benefit from the hardened move should he ever play um i think that'll help him um so yeah i mean the, the west is um shaping up a little bit here so are you just going to be absolutely insufferable when cooper flag is on on the blue devils next year Oh, man. Oh, man. Just wait until we get his boy uh, Harper as well. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, man. People, I love the hate. You know, that it's so funny being a Duke fan because, like, it's the one, it's the only part of my sports fandom where I've ever enjoyed, like, just pure success, you know, as a fan for rooting for <laughs> a, a team or whatever. And it's just, it, it definitely is a different experience because, the hate that you receive, the hate that goes on for them, you you embrace it so much more. You revel in it. You know what I mean? 
people were trying to say all the talk all this shit about Cooper Flag's uh, uh, pictures and stuff that he posted in the Duke and signing with Duke, and it's just it's beautiful. It's music to my ears because uh, he's going to ball out, and you know uh, we're going to have a number one recruiting class, and it might get better. So if we can get number one and number two. Oh my God! I'll be yeah. I'll be on. Um, I'll be, I, I turned off the recording like two minutes ago, yeah, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like I, this is where if you were in studio, we'd have the cattle prod right now. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> oh my lord, that was that was a lot. We we devolved into into Duke the podcast there. Love it, love anyway. it, especially in front of the Wake Forest alum. Yeah. Wow. So I'll say the other thing, uh, you know, my big takeaway is the Haslam's are absolutely unfeated as pro sports owners. Milwaukee, I know it's four games in, but Drew being a Celtic and uh, Dame being a Buck versus the other way around looks really dumb right now. Um, to me, I, I think Milwaukee's a mess. Um, and I don't think it's going to work. So that's just me. Interesting. I, I Do you think it's going to work? It hasn't worked so far. I think it might take some time. But I would say this. I think of my teams that I think are surprising, I think it's surprising how bad the Heat have been so far. And I, I'll talk about, I think the Mavs. I actually really like the Mavs offseason, but it didn't feel like that was no and sense is going in and I who's killing it for them like obviously luca but who else is playing well for the mavs because like i didn't haven't even i was like i had written them off so i didn't even pay attention to who they're starting oh Kyrie, quietly um, he isn't playing he's injured he hasn't even been playing oh grant right? sorry grant grant williams is playing pretty well i think and i think uh Lively's obviously playing great. Tim Hardaway's coming off the bench for them now, so it's um, it's, it's an interesting way they're winning. Twenty game right now. What's that? Tim Hardaway Jr. is averaging over twenty points a game right now for them. Yeah, he's playing well coming off the bench, um, which might be the perfect role for him. Maybe that's the Max Strus player we need. Ooh, ooh. Um, but oh man, I think. The Mavs being this good is uh, surprising. And I think Luka is quietly playing pretty well to start the year. I feel like it's not getting talked about that much. Um, And then I think also the Lakers have been a little bit better than expected, except for Gabe Vincent, because he's been atrocious. Oh, yeah. No, Gabe Vincent is terrible. And uh, Rui Hachimura feels like he's taken a step back, at least in the games I've watched him. Reeves as well. Yeah, Reeves, they're saying he's got no legs from playing all summer, which is weird. I, it To me, it feels like maybe the L.A. lifestyle is uh, is taking its toll there. Uh-oh. What? Oh, I was just saying uh-oh from the oh, L.A. Okay. lifestyle. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, Austin Reeves is is going to be a popular guy out in L.A. Like I, I, I just think it's I think it's the Taylor Swift curse. Travis Kelsey beat him, and it was over. 
<laughs> there we go. Wow. Wow. Um, are you a Swifty, Eli? Mm, I'm a I'm a Kelsey. Yeah, I know. I'm a big Kelsey <laughs> fan too. Like, like my wife loves the Kelsey brothers. She listens to their podcast all the time. Um, obviously, a was it Cle- a Cleveland Heights? Is that where they're from? Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't know oh, yeah. from Cleveland. Yeah, they're yeah. they're Cleveland guys. Um, you know, and obviously. The Chiefs, uh, back when I liked football, were my favorite team for years and years and years. And so, and he's literally somehow going to eclipse probably the greatest tight end of all time, uh, Tony Gonzalez. Um, the Chiefs will have the two best tight ends of all time, Tony Gonzalez and uh, Travis Kelsey. So it's pretty impressive. Um, I'm, and good for him. Shoot your shot, man. I hope it works out for you. Uh, I'd be terrified to be in a relationship with Taylor Swift. <laughs> just she seems like she just leaves a a trail of a, a trail of men in her wake, a, a trail of heartbreak. Yeah, She's... she can break my heart any day. <laughs> the only thing is, uh, there's going to be a song about Travis Kelsey when they break up, and it's going to be epic. There you go. That's true. <laughs> No, I think this one's the one. This is the one, guys. She's hanging out with his mom. Come on. I mean, yeah. I mean, you spend in serious times with the mom, so that's commitment. Well, no, I I buy into the conspiracy theory that she was going to the game specifically to throw off the scent about her private jet usage. (laughs) What? That's funny. The climate change activist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, One of the many climate change activists that uh, flies private jets everywhere. Yep. What was the best one? Like Kendall Jenner just doing like 40 minute flights. Like, like from Calabasas to LA. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Just so ridiculous. Like, let me just drop 12 grand on a flight from Calabasas to LA so I can get there 20 minutes faster or whatever just stupid it's stupid as as adam levine would say anyway um yeah so anything to pitch guys any any exciting stories to tell yarns to spin no man nothing nothing. it always comes to this moment i always draw a blank well and i mean it's not like we hadn't been talking about doing a podcast all day and that i don't ask you this every single time (laughs) you know somehow somehow this always slips your mind it's always a mystery (laughs) it's a mystery wrapped in a riddle oh man (laughs) you guys get the snow yet there we did. We got a little Halloween snow. Yeah, we had this crazy day where um, we was literally people in my neighborhood cutting their grass at like one in the afternoon. And by like eight that night, we had like six inches on the ground. It was nuts. And then it was yeah. gone two days serious? later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I saw the I saw some of the pictures. That's crazy. It was crazy. Yeah. A lot of lake effect. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything major. Ooh, I got okay, okay. I got I got a pitch for you. So, uh, 25 years ago, uh, the album 1965 by the Afghan Whigs, local 
Yeah, Cincinnati. I remember the Afghan wigs. Yeah, Cincinnati band, uh, always rock it out. 1965, probably one of the greatest rock albums of all time. So if you've never checked it out, uh, you should check it out because uh, the album definitely, definitely underrated. I can't believe that no one knows about it. It's just gonna, it's just gonna disappear into nothingness without. Well, uh, I will, I will check that out tomorrow. There you go. There you go. So yeah. if you like some, like some classic rock and roll, there you go. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a little more classic rock and roll. I've been on a Smiths kick all week. Um, solid, solid, awesome British post punk band from the '80s, uh, featuring at the time um, probably the most underrated guitar player in America, and now he's he's kind of been given his not in America in the world. He's been given his due, Johnny Marr, uh, who frontlined that band as well as uh, the best uh, Modest Mouse albums and just a general all-around fantastic guitar player and obviously the band that, whoops, sorry, Morrissey got his start in um, and when he was at his peak for sure. So if you, uh, and their greatest hit stuff is almost is good and their album stuff is good, so yeah, check out the Smiths if you haven't heard them and you want to hear non-hair metal and great music from the 80s. So, there you go. Love it. Not new wave, I guess. Post-punk. Eli, anything to pitch? Nope, I don't. Hey, How's this year's Christmas ale? Have you tried it, Chris? I, I don't, I'm not in the area to get it yet. Oh, whoa. Oh, wow. What the heck? You well, have no access to Great Lakes Brewery? Um, I have not seen Christmas Ale here. Um, wow. I mean, wow. well, there are it's a lot mainly of brewery, because, great breweries in Michigan. So yeah, and, yeah, and generally we're just better as a state than Ohio. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Somebody with the Michigan more. supremacy. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna just go off for two minutes about the Duke Brotherhood, I can throw <laughs> I can throw out mitten superiority comments there. <laughs> no, I I have not, but I do miss me some Christmas ale and, and actually the quite underrated um uh, Twelve Dogs Christmas Ale, which is the original recipe for Christmas Ale, Correct. supposedly. Yeah, which is a lot hoppier than what you get in Christmas Ale now. That's my problem with Christmas Ale. It's very sweet. Interesting. Okay. It's a lot maltier than I'd like. But, yeah, there's some great Christmas brews coming down the pike, I'm sure. Um, you guys got any uh, any big holiday plans? No, no, just uh, chilling with family, you know, nice. it's that time of season, you know. I can't believe Thanksgiving's three weeks away. It's ridiculous. It just seems crazy. Yeah, like this, this year's just flown by. I think it's mm -hmm. because it's our first non-COVID year. I mean, knock on wood. Yeah, yeah, no, mm -hmm. for sure, for sure. Yeah, so anyway, that's all I got. Uh, what's up next for the Cavs, guys? A tough ass schedule. That's what. <laughs> yeah. Who, who they got up next? The Pacers, which I think might be their easiest game um, tomorrow, but it's part of the in season tournament. Um, oh, that's right. It and it's in yeah. Indy, which the Cavs always. No, it's in Cleveland tomorrow. Oh, is it? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. It's in Indy. Is it? Yep. Yep. Yeah, and the Cavs always struggle in Indy. Like that. 
to me is like no matter how bad Indy yeah. is, the Cavs always struggle there. Yeah, and they're not bad tough. this year. No, they're tough. So so it's, they play the Pacers, and then they play the Warriors, and then the Thunder, and then the Warriors again. So that's a really Oof, tough stretch. That's brutal. And, and, and then it's the, and then a the compressed number that. of games too, right? Yeah, so they play the Pacers tomorrow, the Warriors on Sunday, but then they get a little break, and then they play the Thunder on Wednesday. So, Yeah. We'll crazy. We'll, we'll, we'll see, see if Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland will finally play a game, to, uh, their second game together in Game 7. Do we have an ETA for uh, Garland? Not sure, but I did see there was some news about uh, – Jared Allen, he like got some practice run with the charge. Um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, if I'm not mistaken, there's rumors that both of them could be back for Indiana. Ooh, interesting, interesting. Well, um, I do have one little tidbit that I think is hilarious. Um, okay, we are blocked. I won't say the name of the person, but the number one Sexton fan in the world has blocked our account. Oh, but just man. for fun, I had to go see what that person was saying about Taylor Horton Tucker and Oshai Abaji starting over that per- Sexton. And I was thoroughly entertained for five minutes. Um, <laughs> but I think it's, it's actually hilarious because the jazz started off kind of slow and that like helps that person feel better about Sexton being a 28 and eight person. Um, but what, what is it? 28 and eight. Oh, it's the conviction that Colin Sexton would be a 28-point scorer. <laughs> and, uh, eight assist guy. Eight yeah. assist guy. Well, he's Even talking though. about in the G League, right? <laughs> well, I think he was talking about per 48 or something. But No, no, um, per game. It, it's funny. He always, <laughs> I'm he, kidding. He, yeah, he adds another point, and he adds another assist every time he wants to talk about his boy. Yeah. yeah. No, I so. think the comeback is he's absolutely going to average that in the G League someday. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, though, Sexton actually is playing decent. He's averaging 14 and 2 on 40% from 3. And he's finally taken more than like 2 a game. So. Good for him. Hey, I, um, I got no problem with Colin Sexton, the person yeah. or the player. It's just they always miscast him. And that yeah. was that was kind of the problem. Yeah, you know he's actually grown to a legit six three. I think that's the. I, I don't believe that. Yeah, that's what they're saying. That. They're saying that's, he's a legit six three. He 6'3". spends. He hangs upside down all day long. He's like a bat, and that's why he's gotten to six three. I, that's I, what. That's what the roster's saying. I'm just saying it's an official height. Wow. Actually, well, I, I take wait. that back. I take that back. It's not because Mitch was also listed as six three. Wow. <laughs> Wow. What, what, Mitchell what is, listed man, at 6'3". You, you, you walked that back immediately, Eli. I did. <laughs> wow, I did. That was crazy. Just wow, Eli just straight gaslighting us out yeah, here. exactly. I'm just saying the ESPN has Colin Sexton at 6'3". That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> wow. The worldwide leader. If you can't trust them, who can you trust? Oh, yeah, that's what I want to ask you about. Like, did they? Did anybody say what the Bally adage the other night was about? Uh, it was remained a mystery although the jokes were flying about them not paying their bills yeah aren't they isn't that done after the end of the calendar year i don't know i don't know what do you mean done like Like, i thought that was all going away because they don't have enough money well 
I don't know. I think they're trying to figure out a way to go forward, but like, what the hell kind of league are we running here? Yeah. Like, h- how do you have your number one regional uh, provider not able to carry games? Like, that's just idiotic. Yeah. It makes- didn't didn't the Suns already say they're going to just let the local broadcast take care of their yeah, games? The Su- yeah, the Suns are doing that. The Jazz did are doing their own streaming package. Uh, and they had a kind of a cool thing. If you buy the whole streaming package for the whole season, you get a pair of game tickets, which I thought that was was a pretty good deal. Gotcha. So Yeah, it'll be interesting if that's the new way of the sports where each team will have their own rights to their games and they just can sell those games individually to the consumer for, you know, a range of prices. I, I guess. I don't know. I think it's... I think the quality is going to go way down, unfortunately, but that may be the price we pay. I don't think the cap's going to go up that much. That's my hot take for... Oh, I don't think so either. I mean, Ethan Sherwood Strauss wrote an article about that, I think, like a week and a half ago, that basically, like, Adam Silver is trying to make fetch a thing, and it's not going to happen because, you know, what do they call it, uh traditional TV or whatever is just dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, linear television, I think, maybe. Yeah. I can't remember what the term is. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to go up nearly as much as they had hoped. Um, uh-huh. The only thing that could save them is if somehow uh, when it, like Amazon decides they just want to go crazy and buy it. Yeah, but I thought Amazon, they you know, they spent – a buttload of money for Thursday night football and that's right. not been going great. So I can't see them like tripling down and buying like league league games. Um, I think if anything, like TNT is like taking a step forward and their broadcast just continues to be kind of the golden standard of the NBA now. Oh, for sure. I'll, I'll agree with that. I just, I'm, I'm hoping that the quality of the local broadcast doesn't can, Continue to go down. Um, I, I've been impressed with Bally. I think Bally does a really nice job on Fox Sports Ohio, or what used to be Fox Sports Ohio, and I would hate to see the production value slash there. So I'm hoping that doesn't happen. But I think my guess is that kind of Dan Gilbert is the the backstop. He's underwriting that and saying, "Hey, if so- that falls through, we'll we'll make sure that this whole." crew keeps going yeah because he probably he's definitely you can say what you want about him but he definitely has always delivered for fans and spent yeah. what he needed to well and, and i think he's definitely the biggest fan so yeah mm-hmm. and with that um getting a little long in the two so we're gonna wrap this one up and uh we'll see you friday tomorrow um for uh for uh the pacers so and and it's a cup game, so let's let's go Cavs, let's go get that cup. Oh, that was the other thing I was gonna say. Have you seen those commercials with the guy from uh, the Sopranos? Those the and and then you got uh, Draymond Green pushing the cart, and it's like an homage to uh, uh, Ocean's Eleven and all that. No, I have not. Oh, seen Oh, it's it's such it. a terrible commercial. I'll send you the link to it. It's like I just like. The marketing behind let's just make an homage to a 22 year old movie 
just makes no sense to me, but whatever. <laughs> it, it, it was weird, but yeah. And it's got like Garland in a cab and then like DeMar DeRozan and somebody else fighting to push the button in the elevator. Just kind of like, uh, Casey Affleck and, um, Oh, the other guy that was in, in the movie, um, in Ocean's Eleven. It, it's just so silly. I, I just don't understand the NBA's marketing. Yeah. Adam Silver is unfeated, as far as I'm concerned. So and, crazy. Everyone yeah. thought he was the best commissioner for the longest time, and it's kind of flipped on its head really quickly. Yeah. And, and with that, we're going to sign off and say go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.